Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Monday, and we are posting an instant classic for your inspiration. This message may come from anywhere around the globe, but is sure to stay with you for years to come. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Hallelujah. What a great day to be alive in Jesus. Jesus is alive. The sun's shining. The birds are singing. And we're in the house of God. What a joy to be here this morning. I want to thank Pastor Campbell, Pastor Mitchell for the opportunity to minister here and uh, be with you this morning. Thank all of you for your faithfulness. Amen. Acts chapter 15 uh, this morning. Uh, winners are committed. Losers are uncommitted. Saints are committed. Ain'ts ain't. The committed make heaven. The uncommitted, well, you know, there's a... Uh, Kind of a, uh, we kind of uh, tease new, uh, new pastors, pioneer pastors, and say they only have uh, three sermons, you know, uh, commitment, commitment, and commitment. And uh, we mock that a little bit and uh, operate in that, uh, that arena. Still, you will accomplish nothing worthwhile in your life without commitment. Nothing of substance, nothing of importance, nothing that is substantial will be accomplished. And that's true of a victorious Christian life. It will not be accomplished without commitment. I want to talk to you about that out of Acts chapter 15. And it's the story where Paul and Barnabas are getting ready to uh, uh, go on a second missionary journey. I'll get out of my morning voice pretty soon. And uh, as they're, they're uh, uh, contemplating that, and Barnabas and Paul are putting together this team, Barnabas wants to take his cousin or nephew or however, whatever commentary you read, anyway, his relative, John Mark, with them. And Paul and Barnabas have words. And they have a lot of words. And they have such a sharp contention that it actually brings a separation in their relationship. Verse 38 says these words, Acts 15, Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Lord Jesus, we are blessed today to be in your presence. We pray for your anointing and grace in our hearts. I pray, Lord Jesus, your ministering presence in this place, Lord God. And I thank you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's talk to you for a moment about the necessity of kingdom commitment. And, and we're all familiar, we all, are, we all understand 
People that come in, they're in crisis, their boyfriend beat them up, or they lost their job, or they're strung out on drugs, uh, they, uh, whatever the crisis is, they're in a divorce, whatever's going on. And they come to an altar and uh, they're in pain, they're hurting, God doesn't work. They begin to live for God uh, three weeks, a month, uh, six months later, uh, they disappear. Uh, as soon as things begin to go smooth in their life, uh, then, uh, then uh, commitment, uh, going to church, tithing, all those things are no longer necessary. Uh, when things smooth out or get better or change a bit, then, uh, then uh, they're back to the old ways and, uh, and all of that. Uh, and uh, they've got peace in their soul uh, and free of the dilemma, and uh, they're gone. And that's offensive, and we understand that. That's offensive to God. That's presumptuous, that profanes or tramples underfoot the death and blood of Jesus Christ. It denies the call of God in their life. It avoids God's purposes and plan for their good. It weakens the body of Christ. It thwarts the work of God on earth. And it keeps the well of living water from springing up within their soul to eternal life. The terrible lack of appreciation for the blood of Jesus Christ. The terrible lack of appreciation for the work of salvation that Jesus wrought on Calvary's tree. It's the height of irreverence. It's the height of personal arrogance to live that way. And we see that, we recognize that. You can't be in church very long without seeing people that operate in that domain. But I want to talk about a little bit deeper issue. And the problem in speaking, I, I'm here, this is Saturday morning. Any of you astounded that you're in church on Saturday morning? And when I talk about commitment, most everybody in here would say, I am committed. Well, I'm committed this morning to relieving you of that illusion. When you look up the word commitment, it means a feeling of dedication and loyalty to a cause, activity, or job wholeheartedly. It's a pledge. It's a bond. You and I would call it a covenant. And it is opposed in my mind this morning to convenience. Convenience is a state of being able to proceed with something with little effort or difficulty. The... Uh, uh, the uh, dynamic is that it's kind of, this is easy, or this is habitual, or this is what we do. And uh, we can operate in that, that arena a little bit uh, and understand some things. Uh, I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you. Where does the Bible command half-heartedness? Where does the Bible allow for a laxness concerning our responsibilities, our task. Where does the Bible allow that we can have a laissez-faire attitude toward the things of God? Where does it commend that? Where does it commend a wait-and-see attitude? The Bible says that when Paul reasoned about righteousness, self-control, the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, go away for now when I have a convenient time. 
See, maybe, maybe this is a, a great morning, a great Saturday morning, but maybe if Miho was having a birthday this Saturday morning, it might be more difficult for you to be here. When your cousin in Cancun calls and says, hey, we're having a family get-together, but it happens to coincide with revival or it coincides uh, with a conference or it can coincides with a fast and prayer, then maybe, maybe then that's a more difficult decision to make. And maybe you wouldn't be here this morning if that was the case. And the problem we have is that we really believe that we are committed. When Saul was seated under the pomegranate tree and the Philistines were arrayed around him, I'm sure he felt he was committed. But it was Jonathan and his armor bearer who were actually committed and put the Philistines to flight. Elisha. Following Elijah with Gehazi following that and on and on. We get the contrast between a commitment and a convenience. Let me challenge you. What is your Christian walk today? And what does it compare with the first two years you were saved? Because the reality in the statistical arena is that Christians change very, very, very little after the first two years of their salvation. They grow very little more. They have put together a habit, and certainly it's a better habit. If you were in the service last night, it is certainly a better habit than what you used to do on Friday night. The reluctant Esther is not commended. It's when she says, if I perish, I perish. That's why it's in the scripture. The king who stayed home at the time of war did not have a victorious personal Christian life. It was convenient to stay home. It wasn't evil. It wasn't wrong. It's what a lot of people did. And it was okay. And they didn't backslide. And they didn't fall into sin. But this man, over a convenient period of time, did. Laodicea is not commended. Lukewarm is not halfway to hot. Maybe you like your coffee lukewarm. But God doesn't like his Christians lukewarm. Now, Paul and John Mark give us the insight. You look at Paul's life, what is written about Paul, what he writes. Paul says, I always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God. And men strive toward, toward, to have a conscience without offense. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. By the grace of God, Paul says, I am what I am. By God's grace, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. God didn't waste his salvation and his blood on me. But I labored, I labored more abundantly than all of them. John Mark goes on the first missionary journey. And they end up in Pamphylia where there's a demonic conflict that transpires. And then they aspire to go inland over the mountains and into central part of Asia there. And as they aspire to do that, John Mark, John Mark decides that he will go back to Jerusalem and back home. And this sets up the conflict 
that we see in this passage of Scripture. Abandonado is the, is the Spanish word. He abandoned the work. He went back home. He did that. He withdrew from ministry and it results in a separation. It results in a division in these ministries of Paul and Barnabas. Why did he go home? Why did he abandon the work? Why did, why did that happen? Why, why, what went on in John Mark's life? And we don't know. Chrysostom, the great uh, church of father, he says, uh, he says simply, he wanted his mommy. That we're talking about a young man. We're talking about a man that uh, we first meet him in the house of Mary where Peter went after he was released from jail. And he's there and he's a cousin of Barnabas. And so here is John Mark and he's young, he's youthful. And maybe he simply wanted his mommy. Maybe that's it. You know, I was, I was drafted. I went into the army and they took me out behind this big warehouse building and stripped me down to my chonies and put all of my, my civic clothes, my civilian clothes in a box and sent them to my home. And they gave me a uniform and they taught me everything there was about getting dressed. How to put on the pants. How to buckle the belt, how to tie the bootlaces together, how to put on the boots, and which pair of boots to wear on what days to wear them. It taught me absolutely everything about soldiering. And you have to learn commitment as well. You have to learn how to be a soldier in God's army. And here's a young man who had not learned that, had not learned how to work, had not learned commitment, had not learned soldiering. He had not grasped that, and he got homesick and went home. Maybe that was it. Maybe he'd never really seen the spiritual war. Actually, in Mary's house, while I was there, Peter came knocking on the door. And I said, hey, God delivers from everything. God, they put you in prison. God delivers from prison. Maybe he thought it was a nice, easy life as a Christian. No problems, no conflict. But they have a demonic conflict in Pamphylia. And maybe he flipped out and said, ah, I don't want the spiritual war. I don't want offenses. I don't want tribulation. I don't want, you know, Jesus said, I have told you these things. I don't want what you told me. Maybe it's the spiritual war. Maybe it's simply the disillusionment. You know, missionary journeys, being a missionary, being a pastor. You know, that, there's, a romantic, there's a romantic idea in that. Many, many people were very attracted to Jesus Christ. They came to him. Oh, Lord, we'll follow you wherever you go. Well, I don't have any place to lay my head. Well, maybe I won't follow you there. And, uh, and, and they're, they're attracted to Jesus Christ because there's a romance involved. He's attracted to the dynamic of a missionary journey. Oh, my gracious goodness. What a deal. I get to go and preach to all these other nations. I'm going here and going there. And we're attracted to, the, to Jesus and attracted to the ministry and attracted to the word of the Lord. But we're not attracted to no place to lay my head. In the early days in the Philippines, uh, if you went to the Philippines, you got to use an outhouse from time to time, and there are big, creepy, crawly things under that wooden hole. 
Not attracted to family dominion and having to stand against that dominion. Not attracted to false religion. Not attracted to, to that dynamic of making a stand and hardship and perseverance. And not attracted romantic to go out and pioneer and pastor and do that, but not attracted to a lesser salary to do that. And maybe it was a change in leadership. Because when you read through the book of Acts, Peter is the highlight through the first 12 chapters. But here is Barnabas. He is no doubt a good friend of, of Peter. And, uh, and here we are now, now it's Acts chapter 13. Now there's a missionary journey. Now it's Paul and Barnabas. Peter is left behind. And maybe, maybe John Mark, maybe John Mark knew Peter really well, loved Peter. He certainly knew his cousin Barnabas. And so we're on this missionary journey. But there in Pamphylia, in that, dear, in that demonic conflict, somewhere in chapter 13, Saul becomes Paul. And takes the reins of leadership. You face that on your job. When you get a new boss. And half the people love the new boss and half the people hate the new boss. Any reason for that? No, it's just the new boss. Have a pastoral change. And all of a sudden, whoa, wait, this is not what, no, 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 the other guy, the other guy, the other guy. The other guy ain't there. There ain't no other guy. So I don't know what all went on in John Mark's life. But I do know that you cannot be a planting of God without commitment. And we know that commitment's impossible without faith. And we know that faith is not some mystical whoosh or holy hush or something spooky. Faith is what challenges us. You have to believe, if you're going to be committed, you have to believe that God will not abuse you. Now, this is the poisoned ground that we all walk on. The poisoned ground of leadership. We've all experienced, our generation has experienced it. If you ever lived in the third world, you experienced to the max, uh, even, as, uh, even in the United States, uh, the dynamic of the leader. The leader is now above the law. The leader is now somebody that can use people. The leader is someone that can abuse people. That's why Jesus told his disciples that it's not going to be that way with you. That's what happened to Daniel. That's why the satraps and the governors and everybody, they wanted to get after Daniel because they assumed when Daniel was promoted that he'd be just like them and abuse them and be above the law and turn everything for his own, uh, own ends and turn everything for his own self-aggrandizement and turn everything for his own wealth and his own position and secure himself and vote himself in as president for life. That's why they were upset. They thought he was going to be just like us. We better get him before he gets us. You must believe that God will not use you. Then the Australian psyche, the Battle of Gallipoli, 
had put into the Australian psyche for so many, many decades the idea that we are just cannon fodder, that we are just people that are put in positions to fill a position. We're just people. We don't really count. We're just, we're just the human masses that you drop off and use for the elitist and the, those that are in charge. That's what it's all about, those that are in charge. And you cannot be a planting or a committed believer in Christ until you understand that God will not just use you. God places people in the body as He sees fit. It is a marvel. It is an absolute marvel to see how God orchestrates the body of Christ and the things of God. You must believe you're not a pawn of the elitist. You must believe that God is in this for your good and that what God does is for your good. It's not, you know, God is not just an ego freak. I do all of the glory God, glory God, glory God, glory God, glory God, glory God. You know, Jesus said, you know what? If these people don't worship me, the rocks will. God's not worried about his glory. It's for our good. And his glory. God set the members, each one of them, just as he pleased. You have to, be, you have to buy into God's purposes. You have to buy in that God has a plan. You have to buy in that even though it doesn't look just right today, God is taking you somewhere. This is not the end. Joseph had to believe that. To survive the 20 or 25 years when everything went haywire in his life. Commitment is not the same thing as convenience. Being committed means you have to abandon some things. Being, I'm not, and I hope you understand, I'm not just talking about commitment just as a general thing. I'm talking about being committed to Jesus Christ and the cause of heaven. And not just any commitment is going to bring you success. The committed believer, what does he really look like? What does a real committed believer look like? Well, one, they are people who have found a cause and a passion in their life. They are pressing they are pressing toward a godly mark or goal in their life. Their life is not about goodies. They're not Toys R Us kids. I don't want to grow up. I don't want to grow up because I'm a Toys R Us kid. And if I grow up, then I can't be a Toys R Us kid. We're talking about people that have found a passion. We're talking about people that have found something to devote their life to. We're talking about people who have closure over their past. They have learned from the past. They've been taught by the past, but they're not trapped by the past have closure over the past issues in their life, the disappointments and all those things, the offenses that come, and they come to everyone. 
You can always tell people without closure over the past because they never, ever shut up. It don't matter what the subject is if their past is in it. It don't matter what's going on. They're going to talk about it. They don't have any closure over it. Their excuses always manifest in their speech. And it poisons their soul and weakens the body of Christ. Confidence. Confidence in an unfaithful man. Confidence in an uncommitted man. is like a bad tooth. Or a broken ankle. And it says confidence in that kind of a man in a time of crisis. Have you ever noticed you only get bad toothaches in a time of crisis? When there isn't any time and any money to go get it fixed. <laughs> See, they are people that have a passion. Listen, they have a passion. It goes all the way through. They are people who resist letting up. There are people who resist drawing back. They are people that resist a life of convenience. Elijah, Elijah could have stopped it. Elijah gave him opportunity. He could have stopped at Jericho. Hey, stay here. I'm going over here. Hey, okay. He could have stopped at Jericho. He could have stopped at Bethel. He could have stopped at the edge of the Jordan. You can all, the book of Hebrews talks about the, the, uh, the, uh, the patriarchs and, and says in there that, you know what, had they given thought, Abraham came out of, out of Babylon and came across the fertile crescent over to, uh, to Palestine and the promised land. And, and, and had he given thought to scriptures, had he given thought to that, he could have gone back. You can backslide anytime. They resist that dynamic. Jonathan, you know, after they went across the big ravine and they went scrambling up the other side and they put the Philistine outpost to flight, he could have sat down for coffee. It's convenient. 20 dead bodies. No other Philistines around. They're out running around somewhere else. They could have sat down and had a yogurt. Say, people that are committed do not simply take their ease. You ever thought about why you want to draw back? Oh, Jiminy Christmas, preacher. I've been doing this for 10 years. Oh. I've been leading these outreaches for 10 long years, bearing the heat of the day, and it gets stinking hot around here. I've been in the nursery 20 years. How long do you want me to be in the nursery? I paid my dues. I paid my dues. I put in my time. You poor old retirement mentality. Obama's fixing you. You ain't retiring until you're 98. <laughs> Have you paid your dues? I've done my share. I've done my share. Jesus Christ died on Calvary's tree, hanging on a cross. Yes. 
His blood dripping down into the ground. The crown of thorns beaten beyond recognition. And your ten years in the nursery has brought you up and you've paid your dues. I've seen some brutal bites come out of the nursery. But you're the nursery worker. I haven't seen blood on you. <laughs> Committed people have found a passion. They, have, they haven't found a fad. They haven't found something that's going to pass in a little while or get them by. They have found a passion. They have found something that moves them to the very core of their being they have found something that is important beyond everything else. They have found something that gives them backbone. They have found something that causes them to stand. They have found something good, really, really, really good. They found something worth fighting about. Amen. Committed people also enjoy the blessing and they are a blessing to the work of Christ. An old book by, by Womack, The Pyramid Principle. And you know, the idea is that, that the, 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 uh, the, the preacher, the strong uh, Superman preacher uh, is standing there solid and, uh, and, uh, and then everybody else builds on top of him. I don't know if you notice cheerleaders or not, but they usually have more people on the bottom than they do on the top. And that was Womack's point. That what we need are these committed people as a base. We really do do numbers. We do numbers. You know, it's a lot better to have 40 people on an outreach than it is to have four. Have a lot more impact. I remember I did a, a preaching seminar in Prescott and, and I was stunned. I, I, it was during the conference in the afternoon. I was stunned. There were a lot of people out there. And I was like, oh my goodness. Uh, the next afternoon, we did a multicultural panel. There were about 30 people. Now listen, multicultural evangelism, Cross-cultural evangelism, cross-cultural connections are critical, critical, critical today. But with only 30 people there, you could get the impression that it wasn't important. It is important. And it's important. Your body, in the body. Okay, we don't need out-of-body experiences. We need in-body experiences. <laughs> Much, much of life, much of life depends on example. Greatly underrated. Listen, greatly underrated. You know, the whole Hollywood confab saying, oh, violence and all that has nothing to do with movies and us. No, no, no. Example has a great deal to do with life. It has a lot to do with much depends on it. It's vastly underrated. Much depends on encouragement. People are encouraged when there are a lot of people around. Committed person enjoys fellowship. We're, our generation wants to be ecumenical. How, what a joke. I'm not Anglican. I don't want to be Anglican. I don't want to be working the angles. I want the truth. 
See, in this, in, this, in this conflict between Paul and Barnabas, the dividing point is commitment. It's a commitment. Committed people flock together. Uncommitted people are loners. I was in probably 1980, 81, somewhere along in there. I was in a conference. I was on staff in a church and. And I remember going out to the, the old uh, railroad depot and, uh, and uh, Pastor Mitchell and my pastor and myself and I think two other pastors were there. And uh, we're sitting there after the morning seminars drinking coffee. And, uh, and uh, someone, one of the other pastors said, Pastor Mitchell, how are we going to win the world? We're all hanging there with bated breath waiting for this deep, heavy revy. And I remember, I don't know what all he said, but I remember these words. He said, doing just what we're doing. Now, I don't believe that he meant that we're going to drink coffee to the winning of the world. <laughs> more coffee, more coffee, over here, fill her up, more coffee, we haven't won the world yet, more coffee. I don't think that's what he was talking about. But he was talking about our fellowship. He was talking about hybrid vigor and the sharing of ideas and the sharing of resources and the sharing of our lives with one another. He was talking about that. I don't know what all else he was talking about, but he was talking about at least some of that. He was talking about a dynamic that happens, a synergism. And we're going to win the world doing just what we're doing now. And I want to tell you something, that's 1980, this is 2013, and we're still doing that and winning the world. Hallelujah. God blesses the committed. And it's far deeper than just the victory of today. It's far deeper than that. There's a fruitfulness that is involved in that and all different kinds of other things that are there. The committed understand my life is part of God's plan. Jesus said, my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. The Bible talks about how Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good and healing all who are oppressed with it because God was with it. God is with the committed. Apart from commitment, you cannot hear well done, good and faithful, committed servant. It's the issue. Most of us believe we're committed. I want to disabuse you of that idea. I want to, I want to, to uh, lock our minds in, to get out of a convenient religion, a religion of habit. It's impossible to fulfill God's call in your life without being committed to it. Committed to it. John Mark, most of us in here know the end of the story. Harry Emerson Fosdick said, no man needs stay the way he is. Can you thank God? No one has to stay the way they are. If you're unsaved this morning, you don't have to stay that way. If you're uncommitted this morning, you don't have to stay that way. If you're just in a habit of going to church, you don't have to stay that way. You're raised in church, so you go to church. You don't have to stay that way. John Mark, after this event, John Mark vanishes from the New Testament history. For probably 20 years, he abandons the work, goes back to Jerusalem, 
goes back to his mother's house. I don't know what transpired. I don't know how it worked out. But he did not remain uncommitted. He is very close to Peter. You can make a good case that it's John Mark that put together the sermons and the life of Peter and we have it as the gospel of Mark. He just didn't do anything. He did something. We understand that Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.11, get Mark. Paul's writing to Timothy, I need the manuscripts, I need the work, I need to be involved in what I'm doing and get Mark and bring him with you because he is useful to me. What did he do? I don't know. But I can tell you that somewhere in there, John Mark was able to make it up to Paul, his abandonment. Somewhere in that arena, John Mark was able to put together a committed lifestyle. Somewhere in that period of time, in those 20 years, he was able to put together the preaching and experience of Peter uh, and perhaps uh, Jesus, the stories of Jesus that Peter would have told. I have it in the Gospel of Mark. I don't know everything that John Mark did, but I can tell you this, he didn't stay the same because he was able to learn how to be committed, how to stand when there's all other kinds of things that can happen in life that are not particularly evil, maybe not even backsliding, but they are not commitment. Can you say amen? Let's give the Lord praise as Pastor Stevens comes. Thank you for listening to this episode of the VBPH Sermon Podcast. When you listen to these inspiring messages, you are helping to send missionaries from the Chandler Bible Conference in September. If you loved what you heard, please send this message to someone that needs to hear it. Then leave us a review using the links in the show notes so that everyone who wants to find this podcast will see it when they search for it. We cannot thank you enough. See you next time.